Hey, this is Gary Parrish again from CBS Sports, and it's now Friday, December 4th, and this is, of course, the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Really excited about this episode because I've traded in uh, Matt Norlander and Sam Facini for a man who doesn't really need an introduction. Still, I'm going to introduce him anyway. He's a Cleveland High School uh, legend. He's a McDonald's All-American, then started Ohio State. He was the eighth overall pick, 1982 NBA draft, made the all-rookie team, and now he's one of the best college basketball analysts in the business. Of course, I'm talking about Special K. It's the great Clark Kellogg here with me. Clark, I can't thank you enough for being here, man. How are you? I'm terrific, Gary. Great to be with you, GP. It's um, time to be fully immersed in college hoops, and that's exactly what I know you've been doing pretty much year-round. I've just ramped up my appetite here in the last uh, month or so. No, and it's been a fun first few weeks of the season. First things first, before we bounce around the country a little bit, you know, I mentioned and I think everybody realizes, um, you're an Ohio State alum. The Buckeyes have mm-hmm. struggled this season. They're 2-4. and four. They're on a four-game losing streak. they got home losses to UT Arlington and to La Tech. You know, Thad Mata has been one of the most consistently successful coaches in college basketball this century. He's never won uh, fewer than 20 games in 15 seasons as a head coach. He's been to seven straight NCAA tournaments at Ohio State. What's happened here? Did he just get caught with a roster that's too young and lacking a star? That's what it appears, but I'm curious. You're closer to it. What do you make of Ohio State's situation? I think you summed it up perfectly. A roster that's much younger than he's had in the past and combine that with not as talented. He's had some younger teams, but there's been a little bit better blend of some upperclassmen and then the talent has been unquestionable with some of the younger players, D'Angelo Russell a year ago, Jared Sullinger when he was a freshman, Aaron Kraft. I mean, guys that were impact players as young players. And this group is going to be a little bit more of a work in progress. And despite the 2-4 and four record, there have been some steps in the right direction. Um, I was at the Louisiana Tech game since I live here in Columbus. That's a good team, a good experienced team, and that was the difference. I was at the Virginia game as well, and I thought the Buckeyes did a lot of good things and didn't execute down the stretch against a solid Virginia team that played without London Parentes, but still Malcolm Brogdon was terrific. Um, so I think this team is one of the, t- is, is the kind of team, Gary, that will get better. But what that means in wins and losses and what I think is going to be a really competitive and good Big Ten conference will remain to be seen. This team um, doesn't have much margin for error. Well, that, that, Everybody has to be at their highest level for this team to not only compete but to have a chance to win. Well, that's the thing you touch on is the Big Ten, right? Because like, if you're in a different league, then maybe you can get by where you, with a young roster that maybe is not as talented as you've had in the past or yeah. you know, you, you're missing that D'Angelo Russell. but. You know, right now Michigan State, uh, you know, is is in a position to be number one in the country come Monday, as long as they knock out a a bye game this weekend. Um, <laughs> you know, Maryland six and one with you know uh, uh you know a, a, a lone loss being at North Carolina. Purdue is seven and zero. Oh. They've beaten everybody by double digits. Um, Iowa looks okay. Michigan yep. looks okay. Indiana. Mm-hmm. You know, if they can fix anything defensively, they they're offensively gifted enough. I, I, my point is, like, you can get down to you know, seventh, eighth, ninth in that league, even if you are, you know, a pretty good basketball team. Well, well said. And I haven't looked at the Buckeyes Big Ten schedule that closely, but there's nowhere to really hide, especially when you're a team that's in transition as this team is. So, again, the margin for error, not that great. So they'll have to find a way to be able to beat some of those teams that look like them, that are kind of okay. And part of the fun for me at this time of year Gary and throughout the rest is just seeing how teams develop, even the teams at the higher end of the food chain. How do they develop? How do they handle adversity? 
who emerges as a go-to guy or what kind of play do you get off your bench, those things that remain to be seen. We've still got a relatively small sample size right now in terms of games, but that's about to change. And I know this team will get better, but again, in the Big Ten, I think middle of the road, somewhere in the 500 area, would be pretty good for this group as it's put together. Let's stick with the Big Ten for a second. I'm curious what you make of Denzel Valentine's breakthrough. You know, points, rebounds, assists, shooting percentage, three-point percentage, it's all up. He's averaging 20.5 points, 8.4 assists, 8.4 rebounds for a Michigan State team that, like I said, should be number one in the country on Monday. Is this just the byproduct of a senior really putting in the work? Obviously, you got to be talented. You can't you can't be me put in the work and become Denzel Valentine. <laughs> you, you have to have the talent's got to be in place. But um, he really seems to have taken that step in it. I was with them at the Champions Classic when he got that triple-double. And afterward, he said, you know, Coach Izzo coached me. He's coached me. He's told me mm-hmm. I'm not good enough, or at least I'm not mm-hmm. what I should be. And I've worked really hard to to become what he thinks I ought to be. And so here we are. It's just sort of um, refreshing to hear a senior, rather than think his coach is holding him back, actually give his coach credit for like the reason I'm doing what I'm doing now is because that man wouldn't let me do anything less. Well, I would love to see and hear more of that across the landscape of college hoops because that's really the way it should be, quite honestly. I know we have the exceptions, the supremely talented kids that are going to leave after a year or two. I don't begrudge that at all. That's reality. That's life. But by and large, most kids that play Division One college basketball are going to have a progression of development that goes not always in a straight line north. But when you see a kid like Denzel, Tyrone Wallace at Cal, right. kids that are in their senior years, Malcolm Brogdon. I mean, that's the, that's the process. And it's a combination of one being willing to be coached and then having a coach that particular skills and then putting the work in. There's no substitute for that, Gary. Everybody wants the benefits of success without the work especially when we talk about Division One college hoopsters. And to see Denzel do what he's doing, he's a marvelously um, talented and smart basketball player, I think. And he's having the year that you would expect a senior of his caliber to have considering the work that he's put in and who he's being coached by. You know, is it frustrating for you at all? And, and I, I get that you said it, it's just reality, it's the world we live in, and you're 100% correct. But, you know, we got multiple years of Special K at Ohio State. And when you mm-hmm. were playing, you know, like I grew up in Memphis, there was four years of Keith Lee. You know, mm-hmm. the, you know, today you'd never get four years of Keith Lee. You'd get one year yeah. of Keith Lee. Um, as an analyst, as someone who first off like spent multiple years in college, and then secondly as an analyst – you know, these kids come through so quickly, we don't even get to know them. Like, uh, Ben Simmons will, will become a household name in January, and he'll be gone in March. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it, 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 like, does it become ever frustrating that you just wish, for the sake of the sport, you know, these kids would, would I, again, I don't begrudge them. I, if they were my kids, I'd tell them all to go pro as well. But I, I do wish, for the sake of the sport, we could, we could not have such constant turnover of the stars because it it really does make the casual fan um it it makes it difficult for them to keep up yeah i would love to see that be the case and even more so to to embellish the point to see these kids develop more fully before they embark on an nba career because there's additional development that can take place in college that will serve you well as you play pro basketball and oftentimes we see it, and it's only been 
the last 15 years or so when we've seen this exodus really the last 10 with the with the um 19 and under 19 and one year removed from high school rule that we've seen some of but some of those brightest stars leave after the first year and many of them have not been nearly as ready as they thought they were and many have struggled it's a really small percentage but they are the brightest lights in many cases in our game so i would love to see more of them stay for the sake of their own development as much as for what it would do for college basketball in general and yet we're not going to be able to put that toothpaste back in the tube right yeah i mean like like for you uh for instance you you know you you spent three years in college right that's correct Uh yeah you spent three years in college then you bounce to the nba and you're like one of the few rookies ever still today to go 20 and 10 in your rookie year Uh, like you couldn't have done that after one year of college could you no way no way and there was talk about maybe even leaving after my sophomore year and that didn't make any sense and again i think these kids now are growing up with the expectation that if you're highly hyped and have the potential to be a pro, you need to get moving as soon as you can, regardless of how ready you are. And because that message is reinforced, because that pressure is felt, and it's not always just external, it's sometimes within the circle of a young man's home where this is being pushed, regardless of how well he might be ready to handle that. And that's disheartening because a kid that has a chance to be a pro, you want to go and be as prepared as you can. I understand the ticking clock. But development and stability and a foundation that gives you a chance for long-term success is sometimes sacrificed for the sake of a quick grab of the money and getting the clock started. And and in some cases, and we've seen this, kids have not been able to move to that next contract because they were so ill-prepared in an effort to get there quick as quick as possible. And that, to me, is um, what's more frustrating and disheartening than um, having the, the, the small percentage that do leave early. That said, like you and I uh, agree, like th- these kids are going to continue to do it, and, and I can't blame them because the money's there and the money is massive, and Ben Simmons seems to be you know, the, the main guy who's going to be uh, capable of doing that after this season. He's projected by most people to be the number one pick in the 2016 NBA draft. He had a uh, the other night a 43-point, 16-rebound, <laughs> 10 assists, 5-steal game. He's the... I looked this up. I, I, let me get. I don't want to take credit for this. The research department at CBS Sports Network looked this up for me. Uh-huh, you know, yeah. you know how you got to give credit to your research. That's right. That's okay. exactly right. Make sure you dap yeah. up your teammates, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, they looked it up for me. He's the first Power Five player in the past twenty years to to do a forty, fifteen, ten, and five game at the at the uh, Division One level. Um, yeah. Like when you watch him, when you see him, I mean, it, like. There, there's no such thing as a quote sure thing. Like once upon a yeah. time, we thought Greg was a sure thing, Greg Oden, and his body failed him. But like he looks pretty close to it, doesn't he? Oh, without question. I mean, those kind of guys stand right. out, right? Like the brightest of lights, Gary. You don't have to be a real right. player personnel guy to recognize special talent. I mean, that kid has great vision. He's got excellent pace, tremendous skill. I mean, he's a pro if he stays healthy. I mean, that's and there are other guys of of that ilk that have come along, you look at him and you say, well, it's just a matter of time if he stays healthy and continues to work that he's going to play for pay and play for a long time. He's special. I mean, I've not seen him in person, but very impressed with his demeanor and his um, and his vision. When you look at really outstanding players that have 
special gifts, vision is one of those that's uh, hard to teach. And when you have a guy with his height and ball skills and vision, uh, you've got a special player, and he's clearly that. It's one of the things we saw with D'Angelo Russell last year. Like One of the yeah. things that makes him special is his vision. You make a great point. I- I've said this many times. Like If you go you know, on the AAU circuit, like out to Vegas or Peach Jam or any of those, and you walk in the gym without any knowledge of who's who. Like, you don't know yeah. any of these kids. Like, I just remember being at a game one time, I guess it was like 2007, 2006 probably, and it was Derrick Rose and Eric Gordon on one team and, and O.J. Mayo and maybe Bill Walker <laughs> on the other team. And you don't have to know anything about basketball. You walk That's in that right. gym and you see Derrick Rose, you go, okay, that, I bet that yeah. kid's one of the best players in the country. You know, That's you, right. That's you, right. No, it stands out. It jumps out at you. It jumps out. Some kids have to grow on you, but the special ones, you can see it fairly quickly. And they come along a, about, a, about a handful of them every season that stand out as first-year players. I've been really impressed with Jalen Brown as I've watched yeah. him at Cal. I like what he's able to do for a guy of his size. He handles it, shoots it pretty well. He's got a good motor. Um, Ivan Rabb has been impressive as I've watched him a little bit from a distance. So there's a good crop of first-year players out there. How many of them will make it to their sophomore year? I think there'll be more of them than than maybe in past years that perhaps um, stick around. So last night, we're talking on Friday, and so last night Kentucky took its first loss of the season um, to an unranked UCLA team that already had three losses. Uh, earlier this year, though shorthanded without Marcus Page, North Carolina goes to Northern Iowa, takes a loss. I looked it up earlier today. At this point last year, the preseason top four teams, they were mm-hmm. um, Kentucky, Wisconsin, Duke, and Arizona. The four mm-hmm. They were like 29-1 combined record, and the only loss in the group was Wisconsin's loss to Duke. In other words, um, they were all undefeated, and the only one-loss team lost to another top-four team. This year, we've got two top-four teams that have already lost to unranked teams. And it just sort of underlined for me that, um, though Michigan State has has looked really impressive, and uh, I think Kentucky's got a lot of pieces there, there's probably not a team in the country this year that's as good as last, and that's going to be as good. As last year, Wisconsin, last year, Kentucky, last year, Duke. Do you buy that? I do. I do, based on what we've seen with the sample size we've gotten. And I'm fine with that. Mm -hmm. That's part of the difference of each season. Clearly, we had some elite-level teams that had a nice blend of talent and experience amongst those groups. Obviously, Duke came on strong and won it all with primarily freshmen in primary roles. But Wisconsin was an, was an upper-class laden team. Um, Kentucky was a bit of a blend. Um, Arizona had some upperclassmen and good leadership at the point guard with T.J. McConnell. Uh, I think Michigan State, Maryland, North Carolina, Oklahoma, those teams to me look as though they could be Final Four caliber. And I'll tell you the team that's been most impressive to me that I've seen, and I've, not, I've watched a ton of games and, 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 and video, but I've not seen everybody. But Xavier yes. is as good as any of those teams. Yep. I mean, in terms of size, toughness, depth, skill, athleticism. I mean, whatever criteria you want to use, you could give Xavier high marks in every category. And that, to me, bodes well for what I think is going to be an outstanding season because we don't have a clear-cut dominant team or two or three. We have a number of good teams that could become really good, and then we have some teams outside of the Big Five or the Power Five conferences that I think will be able to compete quite quite readily with them. 
with the other team. So it's going to be fun. I'm it, looking forward to it. It is going to be fun. And I think one of the, the byproducts of this is like if you're Xavier, like even the same version of Xavier last year, you might mm-hmm. look up and you go, okay, Duke's got Okafor and Jones mm-hmm. and Winslow and even Quinn Cook, who's a great college player. And right. Wisconsin's got Frank and Decker and um, Kentucky's got everybody. And you'd look up and you go, okay, there's probably a ceiling on what we can get done. But in this particular mm-hmm. year, you go, okay, why can't we play with Maryland? Why can't we play with North Carolina? That's like, it, it gives those middle and, – and, like, I, I've, I've watched Xavier as well. They look unbelievable. But Xavier in last – this Xavier team last year, probably, yeah. like, it's going to be tough. But Xavier this yeah. year, it's wide open for them. No, that's a great, great point, man, the way you frame that. It's exactly right because, again, you don't have that perceived ceiling if you're a Xavier or in the past a Wichita State. Sure. Or an Iowa State even, a team that typically gets a little lost in the shadow of the Jayhawks. And the Kansas Jayhawks, I think, are going to be a special team. Could be one of those teams that goes from being very good to to excellent based on personnel and coming together. So um, a number of teams in that group of, of really good teams. And I would put Xavier right in there. And then a number of other teams that, as we watch the season unfold, could develop into the kind of team that's got it going at the right time to be able to make a run um, of significance come March. Last thing before I let you go, and uh, I appreciate your time, like I said. Um, yeah, my pleasure. Like You live in Columbus now. You went to Ohio State. But I mentioned at the top, you like you, you went to high school in Cleveland. And I, I'm, I'm sort of fascinated by I love the LeBron going back to Cleveland story. And I think the assumption on the day that that was announced was he's going to be the guy that brings a championship to Cleveland. It's just going to happen. But now we look out, out west and we see this team in Oakland that has got staff who's operated at the highest of levels and who and, and this team that is literally, as we speak, undefeated. It's December 4th. They still haven't lost this year. Are, are people in Ohio maybe concerned that like the, the window might be closing? Like LeBron is aging and this Golden State team doesn't seem like it's it, – I, I guess my point is it seemed like – I would have bet a lot of money that yes, he's going to get one to Cleveland, and he, and he still might. But it, yeah. it's it, like this Golden State thing has maybe changed the dynamic a little bit, hasn't it? Well, well, it's never easy to get championships, sure. no matter how much talent you have. A lot of things have to come together for you. But I think the window, depending on the health of Kyrie Irving, okay. um, you've got to get so you've got to get your roster healthy and as constituted. Even though we know LeBron has more ground behind him than in front of him, I still see a very productive two, three years of high-level play for LeBron. With this group, I think the window remains open. The headwinds with what Golden State is doing, what San Antonio and a bit of an understated typical Spurs way is doing will make it tough. But I would love to see the Cavaliers be in a position to play for an NBA championship again maybe once or twice in the next two or three years. And it would be even better, Gary, if it happened to be against Golden State this this particular season in a rematch with everybody healthy. I would love to see that. But those Warriors are phenomenal. I mean, they are a treat to watch the way they play. No, it has been uh, – they're the show in professional American sports right now. It's been fun to watch. Well, listen, man, I know how busy you are. I can't thank you enough for taking a few minutes with me. And, uh, listen, you're the best, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure, GP, and hopefully we'll get a chance to maybe um, circle back and do it again. You know what? I'm going to take you up on that. And everybody listening, uh, remember you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That's the quickest way to get the latest episodes in your hands. So do that, please. And either way, uh, we will talk again early next week. Take care.